again, a good morning. Glad to be here with you. Glad to be alive today. I hope you are too. I don't like distractions, and so I'm not going to say much. But if you're a wise person, you don't pet an unknown dog, and you don't put your hand on a moving saw blade. Enough said? Good job. I hate to have a distraction. I hate to have a problem like that because it distracts from what you're trying to do. But enough said. We're done. It'll heal. Time later. Won't even know it was there. Good enough. The other thing I wanted to mention is you may have noticed we had a little bit different communion cups today. You probably noticed that. And all. Um, a little different. They cost a little bit more, but uh, we thought we would try those and see how what we thought about them and uh, and all if you have particular opinions about it I'd be happy to hear about it and you can share that in that regard we had a little trouble getting them here uh, shipping as you know at this time is kind of difficult from some places and so it took a lot of extra time to get those to us but we're we're glad to have them and so for the next few weeks at least we will use those and hopefully if we're happy with those uh, into the future as long as we uh, use the cups in the way that we do today. Okay, I want to share with you again. Now, let's get to the lesson. Get on to business at hand. As I want to share with you the idea. Last week I talked a little bit about grace. Now, you probably don't remember that. I don't even remember what I said, but I remember we talked a little bit about grace last week. And all this week I want to I tie this lesson. It's kind of an unusual thought because it begins with the thought, more than grace. Huh. I want to go back to the Old Testament story of Nehemiah. One of those great Old Testament stories, one of those outstanding characters. The thing that stands out in my mind so much about Nehemiah is as he goes along through the things that he is doing, as we hear his prayer, Lord, remember me. Remember me for the good. Remember me for the good I've done for the people. Remember me for the good I've done for you. As Nehemiah goes through, he's wanting to do the right thing, and he wants the Lord to notice he's striving to do the right thing. As you may know, he hears word that the walls of Jerusalem, Jerusalem is in, in tatters. The walls are down. The gates are burned. And, and he's in tears about this situation because that's his homeland and the capital of his homeland. It's where the temple uh, has been, where David uh, was and reigned as king, where Solomon built that great temple, where so many great things had happened in ages past. And to hear that this city is just absolutely in ruins weighs on him. Through the course of events, he ultimately gets to go to Jerusalem and begins the work of building the walls. But not everybody is excited about building the walls in Jerusalem. There are people there that don't want those walls built. But as Nehemiah gets there, he gathers the forces and they begin, and it's a great story of cooperation and so forth. We go to the fourth chapter. And picking up in verse 15, and then we'll We'll come down to verse 20, which is kind of the centerpiece of this. It says in verse 15, And it happened when our enemies heard it was known to us, that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing, for they had tried to stop them from building the walls, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of the servants worked at the construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. 
And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, listen to this, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Underscore that one. Our God will fight for us. Tremendous thought. That Nehemiah was a man of faith, was a man of determination, was a man of leadership. He was truly a man of character. But as we try to think about this, and I draw this out, and this is just one small segment in that story, as I draw this out, it reminds us, as we think about this, that perhaps we look at a situation that is generally beyond the scope of our perceived abilities. We think, I don't know whether I can handle this. I don't know whether I can, I can do this. Maybe it's just the financial cost. Maybe it's the physical limits. We can't personally be, we don't feel like we're personally able to do it physically or something like that. There are things we hesitate to do simply because we are not sure even that they are needed, much less whether we can do them. And such a hesitation is even more pronounced if we feel like it puts our own lives at risk. Now, at the same time, the scenario changes if there are others engaged within it. You know how mob scenes work sometimes. Somebody that wouldn't have begun to do what is done, if they get into that group and the mob begins to do it, or peer pressure around you and their friends and others get involved, we begin to do things or strive to do things that we might not have done alone at all, might not have even considered trying to do at all. Because when we can depend on the strength of others, we gain a far greater level of what we might call courage, or initiative, or whatever it might be, to apply that. It may be it may be that we look upon the grace of God in the same way that we look upon a blanket of insurance. You say, this contrasts that. Yes, that's what I mean. For we may look upon the grace of God as something that just flatly covers everything that we do wrong or that we don't do right. I mean, it covers what it covers and what it covers, we don't even need to consider as, co as a common thought of grace. We don't even need to really think about it, after all. It's kind of like the insurance agent who was trying to sell me a policy one time many years ago, and I was sitting in the office, he came in to sell me the policy, and he was talking about this, and I said, well, I'll tell you exactly what I want. Maybe you fit into this, too. I'll tell you exactly what I want. I want an insurance policy that drafts every month, that doesn't change, and I don't even have to think about it, and then when the day comes I need it, it's there. That's exactly what I want. I don't want to have to think about it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to have to deal with changes in it. I don't want to have to adapt it. I don't even want to have to know that it's there until it's absolutely needed. You know what he said? I think we can do that. But you know that insurance agents will tell you stories. 
No, it was pretty good. Anyway, but that was my thought. And I think sometimes we look at the grace of God that way. I don't even really want to think about it. I don't even really want to think it's about it being that. I don't want to have to contemplate, well, will this be covered? Will this not be covered? Will, will I be able to do this? Will I not be able to do that? I think that we think about God's grace sometimes that way when we think about it all. We just want to be God to be there to take care of stuff for us, to deal with the things, our shortcomings, or whatever they might be. And of course, we are happy to offer our thanks to him now and then say, Lord, I know you do this. Thank you for that. I'm glad you're there and all of that. And we offer that thanks, and we're rightly so, and we should. But my friends, I want to tell you, if you read the Bible at all, and many of you do, if you read the Bible, you've got to agree with me. You've got to agree with me that when we read the Bible, we will find that a beneficial relationship to God, where his grace is applied, where his, his word is applied, where he is in our lives, when we think about the grace of God, it is a call to arms. Think about the story of Nehemiah and what he's telling them. Basically, it's the idea God wants you, but he wants you to be more than an observer he wants us to be more than just observers on the sidelines, the people who are entertained. We may go to a football game or another sporting event, and we may sit in the stands. We may jump up and down and cheer. We may even paint our faces different colors or something. Well, not you and me. We may be sitting in the stands, but we're not on the field. And I understand a sporting event's different. But sometimes I think we want to treat our relationship with God that way. We want to be on the sidelines and say, Great, Lord, great, go get them, Lord. Take care of that business. But especially in times of real crisis, I think we awaken to the fact that we are needed. It's that old sign out there that says, Uncle Sam wants you. God wants you. And Nehemiah said, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet... Whenever you hear that sound of that trumpet, he said, the trumpeter is standing near me. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, what did he say? Come a-running, buddy. Come a-running. Get your sword, get your shield, and come a-running. It was literally a trumpet call in that case, perhaps like the bugle call of a little more modern military opportunity. But we still struggle with that, don't we? The old bumper sticker that we'd see from time to time would say, let go. And let God. You know, if you're driving a car, that's not a good idea. I know they've got self-driving cars now, and some of you can take your hands off the wheel. But generally speaking, to say just let go and let God, if you're driving a car, is not really that great an idea. Just don't ask Jesus to take the wheel. Pardon to Carrie Underwood. There were even some very religious folks who would have the bumper sticker on their cars. You may have seen these. I haven't seen one in a long time. That said, in the case of the rapture, this car will be empty. Well, that's not a nice idea. But I don't mean to make fun of their belief system. But the message here, and the message that Nehemiah is getting across is, don't just expect God to wipe out your enemies for you. The message was and is that victory will not come without your investment in it oh yes i know there are many times god would call the people out get them ready and then he would destroy the enemy on his own there are times like that but the basic idea is when you do what's right when you're engaged with what's going on 
And so Nehemiah led them. He led them to the building of the walls. He led them with purpose. He led them with drive. He led them with interest. But even as they sacrificed to build those walls, there was even more to them to do. They were rebuilding the walls of the city, but they still might have to run, gather together, and fight an enemy that would be attacking. They were sacrificing to do the work, and maybe yet still to sacrifice more in fighting for the cause. That's important. That's the way God has always been as he challenges humans. He goes to Noah, and he says, build an ark. He goes to Moses, and he says, go call the nation and lead them. He goes to David with a fight with the giant. I know God didn't call him to do that literally, but you understand what I'm saying. Nehemiah built walls that protected the national defense, national treasure, as it were, against those who would prevent its light, his light from shining within this. God would, and God did, fight by using them in the fight, much in the way as he used David's slinging arm to bring down the giant. He used the power that was available there, and he brought down that giant. So friends, I bring it back to you this way. There is still a trumpet call to the light. There is still a trumpet call to bring us together. There is still a call to action. Jesus called to action. Think about what he said to some of his closest disciples as he draws them away from the fishing work they're doing. Follow me and I will make you to become. There's a journey. There's a work. There's something for you to do out there. He called his followers to action, not to indolence. His rest is not a slack of action when he says, come unto me, you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. No, I'll give you a place of peace, of strength, of acceptance. He says, take my yoke on you. Learn of me. The yoke is easy. The burden is light. But he calls them to action. That's Matthew 11. He calls them to action. You see, Jesus wasn't a salesman at the state fair calling people to come and lay down on a mattress somewhere. That wasn't his point. He was calling people to do something, to be something, to act on something. Much in the way Nehemiah was saying, you keep your sword handy, you keep your spear handy, you keep your shield handy, and when you hear the trumpet, you come a-running. There is still a trumpet call to the fight, the call of the Lord is a call to action. Even as Peter spoke on that Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, you may remember, he says, as many as the Lord our God shall call. It's a calling to bring you in, to do something, to be something. You see, his grace is not an excuse to sit on the sidelines. His grace is not an excuse to just sit by and watch the world go by while he wages a battle in the field. When I was a little boy, I sat in the back seat of my parents' car. I sat, always sat behind my dad, as I've told you before. I didn't have to do a thing. I usually did a few things that they didn't like, like bothering sisters along the way. But he did all the driving. The safety was up to him. 
All I had to do was sit back there and mind my own business for a while. Sometimes we, we treat God that way. But his grace is not an excuse to sit on the sideline of faith while he wages the battle on the field. We've often turned to Acts chapter 2 and verse 8 when it says, By grace are you saved through faith, and we forget that that's just through faith and what faith entails. By grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. But understand what he says. When it goes down to verse 10, read through verse 9 and go to verse 10. He says, he has created us unto good works. It is a call to action. So what's the message to you and me? What's the message to you and me? We, 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 put on our, we put on our armor. We take on the whole armor of God. And when we've got it all and gotten ready to stand, we stand. That's what Paul tells in Ephesians 6. So what is the message to you and me? Number one is be busy. Be busy in the work before us. Get busy doing what you've got available to do. Get busy doing that work. They were building a wall. Get busy building that wall. There is always some work to do. Notice what Paul tells Timothy about God's word, that it helps fulfill and make a person equal to what he needs to be. That the man of God, he says, the man of God might be, 2 Timothy 3, might be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Notice what he says about himself at the end of, nearing the end of his life, it appears in 2 Timothy 4. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race, the course of run. There is something laid up before me, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. But he says, I'm still running. I'm still being poured out like a drink offering, he has just said. Be busy in the work that is before us. That's what we're reminded here as Nehemiah offers it. Secondly, keep your weapons at the ready. Be ready for what is coming. You know, it's not by accident that the Word of God is referred to as a sword, the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6, sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God. That's what Paul is trying to get across to Timothy in that idea, we've got what we need to fight with this sword and with the weaponry that we've got at hand. That's why Peter says we've got to be ready, 1 Peter 3.15, to be able to answer any man who gives us or has a question regarding the hope that is in us. It is a call to action. It's a call to being. It's a call to understanding. It's a call to knowledge. Keep your weapons at the ready so they're ready to use at every opportunity that may come up or every instance that needs them. Thirdly, listen for the sound of the trumpet. Be aware. Don't let it pass you by. Don't let it pass you by. We're sitting in the emergency room at at Mustang yesterday, and you were saying, why in the world were you in Mustang yesterday? I don't have a clue either. But we were there, and it got to be 12 o'clock. 12 o'clock. And you know what happened? Right outside that building, there's a siren. It's a little quieter at home, a little further away, but right outside that building, there's a siren. And I think everybody in that building that's there, every doctor, every patient, everyone in the emergency... They heard, that, they heard that siren. What Nehemiah is telling them, you're going to hear the trumpet, and when you hear the trumpet, listen for the sound of the trumpet. Be aware of it. Be awake to it. I think about Jesus' disciples there in the garden that night. The disciples in the garden were sleeping. They were tired. It had been a long day. 
they'd been having the Passover. They were full of food and, been, uh, and drink and so forth. And there they'd made their way to the garden. It was dark outside, and they're, they're sitting down, and they go to sleep. And the third time, finally, Jesus says, you got to wake up. You've got to wake up because the enemy is at hand. We've got to listen for that sound. Even when we have, maybe we have drifted into sleep, we've got to awaken to that sound. We've got to know the sound of the trumpet, and we've got to know that it's there. And when we do, we do, nextly, we need to run to the defense. Run to the defense. Not a hesitation, not a, a, not a half-hearted engagement. But run to the fence with your sword in your hand, your shield ready to go. Run to the defense. Put on that breastplate of righteousness. And have that shield of faith ready out there and carry that sword of the Spirit and go into the fight that is before you. We share the defense of what, it, what makes us who we are. That's what Paul told the church in Philippi in chapter 1. We fight for the defense of the gospel. He said, that's why I'm suffering what I'm doing because I fight for the defense of the gospel. And then finally... We need to know that the Lord is in the fight. We're not in it alone. The Lord is in fight. That's what Nehemiah was trying to tell him. Our God will fight for us. Don't be afraid. Yes, you're going to be engaged. But like Jesus told us in Matthew 28, that final verse, I'm with you always. I'm with you. I am with you. Know that the Lord is in the fight. You're not in it alone. He is by your side. I know sometimes we feel like, well, where is the Lord in this? Where is he in this? You're not fighting alone. If you let the Lord fight with you and you trust him to do it. I like Nehemiah's words. Our God will fight for us. Friends, I think there are a lot of people, many religious people, that think that if they can get under the umbrella, if I can just get under that umbrella of grace, then, then it'll be a day at the beach after that. It's all covered, everything's done, and I understand the, the value and the power of grace, and I don't want to undermine it in any way. But if you just think it's a matter of you can just get there and then just relax and do no more, no more thinking about it, we've missed it. This is not that insurance policy that just covers everything and you're done to the end. We need to see, we need to see grace as the enabler that allows us to launch fully and safely into the battle that the Lord will fight with us. Man, I don't know how many times I've read that story with Nehemiah. I don't know how many times I've seen that and I've thought about that. Yeah, and it's an interesting and a great story. But I've got to tell you, as I was looking at it this week and I thought about it, I thought, this is the first time I really thought in regard to you and me, but isn't that exactly where we are? We're out there building those walls, but he says, you know, there's still some fights to fight, and we've got to be ready to fight them and put them on. That's it. That's it. Even beyond grace. But grace is there, and he will fight for us. We're going to sing a song of encouragement this morning. Perhaps there's someone who needs to come this morning and respond to the invitation. If you do, let us assist you.